When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 11. While it is good uh, to you know, philosophically do our best, and relationally I think to do our best um, to uh, lean into nuance, I also think in many circumstances that is just functionally not possible. Amelia Markham is the Atlanta field organizer for the Reformation Project, uh, where she works to train and disciple LGBTQ Christians and allies who are seeking to make their churches safer and more inclusive places. Uh, Amelia jumped into international relief, uh, nonprofit management, and LGBTQ advocacy uh, right after she came out uh, because coming out made it so that she wasn't able to go into ministry in her local churches. Uh, She has a degree in intercultural studies and Bible, uh, and she spends most of her time nerding out over faith-based justice initiatives and attempting to navigate what it means to be an LGBTQ Christian. I don't know why I can't say that today. LGBTQ Christian uh, with a mixed Asian American Native Hawaiian ancestry and her for better or for worse kind of love for the Southeast. I love Amelia. <laughs> uh, I've had I've had many conversations with her over the past few years, uh, and every time I have a conversation with her, I really, really enjoy it. Uh, so it's it's a it's a treat to have her on the podcast today. Uh, we dive into uh, some kind of nerdy theology near the end, which is is just a blast. Uh, so I'll watch for that conversation on sin. Uh, You'll hear Amelia mention a lady by the name of Anna Jelsey a couple times in this episode. And so just for some context, Anna Jelsey is the Reformation Project's organizing and programs director. Uh, They do a lot of work together. She's amazing also. Uh, And I know I've been plugging this for a little while, and uh, Amelia will talk about this a little bit as well. But if you want to meet all of these people, come to the Reformation Project's conference in Chicago. I think it's October 26th through 28th in Chicago at Fourth Presbyterian Church and meet everyone. It's my favorite conference of the year. So let's go ahead and dive in. Amelia Markham. Hello. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing today? I, I'm tired. I've been traveling uh, for the last few days. Yeah. It felt like a pilgrimage to get back from the West Coast, but uh, I'm home now and um, slowly um, rising from the grave. Good. Because you, you were in LA, right? No, we were we were in San Francisco. Oh, okay. 
all of the cities blur together for me. So yes. I know they're different, but. But yeah. don't be confused because <laughs> Anna Jalsi made the mistake of assuming that because she was going to California, she could uh, adorn herself in sundresses and rompers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is not the case um, no. in, in the Bay Area. And <laughs> she was cold. I was cold. It was a cold time because all of California is not the same. Mm, yeah, this is true. I've learned that <laughs> lesson before, too. <laughs> uh, so to jump in, uh, this is a question that I ask everyone because I think it, it leads to some really interesting places. Uh, but how do you identify? And then how would you say that your faith has helped inform that identity? I think for me, depending on the setting where I'm asked that question or ask mm. similar questions informs how I respond, mm -hmm. which I think um, as of lately has put me in this position where I've began to acknowledge um, how this idea of um, hybridity kind mm. of largely um, defines, you know, how I think about myself and mm. how I think about my identity being a person who, uh, I think kind of inhabits a lot of different worlds, um, very different um, compounding backgrounds and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I find it's, it's something that can kind of change depending on the person who's asking me. Mm -hmm. But because you, Matthias, are asking me that question mm -hmm. uh, and it's on this particular podcast, I would say that... Um, I am a person who identifies strongly um, as being Christian, uh, as a person who comes uh, from a uh, well-intentioned <laughs> and thoughtful evangelical background. Mm. I am uh, multiracial, um, so being uh, Japanese-American, Native Hawaiian, uh, and mixed with white is also something that I think helps me understand, or at least talk about myself as I'm trying to understand myself. I, mm. as far as gender is concerned, um, have been wrestling with that um, mm. for most of my life. I've definitely been read and socialized as a woman. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet, the more I learn about uh, gender expansive identity, uh, gender nonconforming identity, the more I felt, I think, comfortable and confident being able to say, at the very least, uh, I, I wouldn't describe myself as cis. I wouldn't mm -hmm. identify that way mm -hmm. uh, anymore. And um, that then informs my recent uh, move toward talking about myself more as queer rather mm -hmm. than gay or lesbian. Mm. Um, but um, all of that's still still in process. I'm still on what I've I've been calling the adventure as mm. far as excavating that. Uh, but somehow I think thinking about race, thinking about gender, thinking about sexuality, um, and all of these things definitely, I think, put in perspective for me um, what, what it means to identify as a Christian mm. 
in, in 2017, I think in, in the era we are now living, not just, um, you know, socially and politically, but also just religiously at large and thinking about, uh, the, uh, you know, epicenter like of Christian faith and practice swinging to, um, the majority world, you know, swinging to the global South. And so, um, to be, I guess, more specific about how, is it how those things help me to think about my faith or how my faith helps me to think about those things? Which, which direction is the question? You know, it could be, it can be either one. I've had people interpret it both ways. So I, yeah. I, I ask it, how, how would you say your faith has helped inform your identity? Uh, but I think it could easily go the other direction as well. So, yeah, I think, um, I grew up in in a household that was Christian, but there was nothing, um, I think, overtly evangelical or overtly fundamentalist about that. My parents uh, were not of the worldview that restricted media intake or my participation uh, in uh, our own cultures or um, the culture around us. Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, becoming a Christian, um, had a little more, you know, maybe agency, uh, involved in it. And I was, mm. I was introduced to the faith and it's what I would have considered its most compelling form, um, as a teenager through friends, you know, who were thinking more, um, holistically and, um, philosophically, mm. you know, about what it meant for them to be a Christian. And so um, I did not come to the faith under this impression uh, of, you know, boundaries and rules being what made me um, into a person who was following Jesus. Mm. And because of that, um, there was a freedom. I think there was a lot more opportunity for me to ask questions, a lot more um, room to really start uh, to wonder, you know, yeah. what it meant to be multiracial, you know, mm-hmm. to wonder what it meant um, to feel different, you know, in terms of, of gender and orientation. And even if I didn't have a lot of language uh, to talk about those things at the time, and even if um, I would go on to uh, dive into the trenches of uh Mm, you know, eat more staunchly held evangelical communities and the right. positional beliefs that come with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think that because of my my conversion experience, you know, my salvation experience, um, being born of um, a, a kind of liberation, you mm-hmm. know, not finding certainty and not finding answers, you know, to all the questions of where we come from, why we're here and why we're going, but just being given mm. these compelling responses. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it then sort of shaped what the rest of my faith journey, you know, would look like and the rest of what sometimes I call ethnic puberty would look like. Mm. Uh, my faith promoted uh, curiosity um, and promoted um honesty and transparency, uh, which I know can be sort of the anomaly, you know, when we're thinking 
more conservative Christianity, but it, it very much is what I entered into upon becoming a Christian. And so I see that as um, at the heart, you know, of of what it means um, to be thinking about uh, relationship with God and relationship with the world and um, loving, you know, both of those things. It um, should sort of set this foundation of uh, inherent value, inherent Mm -hmm. dignity. And um, I think the more study, you know, I did around uh, the the history, you know, of the church and of Christianity, and the more I, you know, started to sort through um, the historical person of Jesus, the more I think I even began to uncover um, these, like, (laughs) really... uh, political dimensions yeah. of Jesus's teaching ministry. Yeah. And, and then that as well, I think gave me permission and gave me a skill set um, yeah. to be um, participating, you know, in, in resistant, you know, resistance types of, of movements, mm. but uh, grounded in, in love and grace, generosity, all, all of these kinds of things. So mm. um, yeah, I, I do, think uh i still have enough of the the residual uh effects of having you know been a part of those communities for so long right uh, to where even my language you know and colloquial uh (laughs) ways of expressing myself are are still pretty uh christian as i you know was taught to be a christian in those settings but um even as that changes it's still a lot of a, a heart language mm. for me. Um, that's often what I what I share with people. Mm. Uh, and um, so I think, in general, uh, my my faith and being a Christian and um, continuing to to believe in a personal, conscious, um, uh, effectual, you know, God. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of that um, really grounds the work I do now, uh, mm-hmm. grounds my sense of self, uh, and and I, I do think it shapes my identity, how I understand all of these moving parts, mm-hmm. you know, about who I am and, and where I come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm hearing you describe this kind of, you said hybridity, kind of multiplicity of, of selves, of of coming into this like or growing curiosity around yourself, the world around you, your faith. Um, it, it sounds like that's been a really like kind of expansive journey for you. Um, and, and I, like I'm finding myself curious about that because I think as, as, as I keep having these conversations, um, I, I'm realizing like I, there are a lot of us who grew up in these kind of really constrictive environments, but I'm also realizing there are so many of us who didn't grow up in those environments who also went on journeys of finding expansive faith. Um, in your experience, like what, what has that journey kind of been like for you uh, to arrive at a place of, 
I mean, it sounds like it's always kind of been curiosity, but what has invited you most into curiosity along this kind of the, these steps, mm-hmm. if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's worth noting that, you know, all, all of my life, I've loved learning. I've loved um, being able to ask questions and understand how things work. And um, sometimes, you know, when I when I share my story, um, what I I will point out is that you know, from my earliest childhood memories, um, I felt two things were were really true about me. Mm. And one of them was that I I uh, had such a hunger for spirituality, mm-hmm. um, really believed in this connectedness of the universe and, um, saw that, um, in exciting, uh, and, you know, creative ways, both through the media, but in my own family and in the schools, you know, I was attending, I, I think I was drawn, mm-hmm. you know, to, um, purposefulness, meaningfulness, all of, all of these, you know, different kinds of ideas, you know, that we're here for a reason, you know, whatever mantra you want to throw on that, those kinds of things right. were, um, very compelling to me, mm-hmm. um, as, as a little kid. Uh, and at the same time, I knew I was different and I was different in a way that sometimes looked like bullying, um, mm-hmm. but often just looked like, um, like a more, cosmic kind of loneliness Mm. um a a feeling of being other of not quite fitting in being able to be social and to make friends and have conversations but always kind of sensing that um i think at the time something was wrong Mm. you know something was abnormal something was off you know that kind of thing and Mm um you know later um i think You know, it was learning about LGBTQ identity, learning about orientation, learning about gender that helped me to sort of identify, you know, what I felt different about. Mm. Um, And and really, at the same time, um, I I saw that the the Christian message and that the gospel of Christ um, seemed to again like offer these responses. Um, to the the most essential questions, you know, mm. I I think that mattered to me about, um, you know, if if there's a reason for being here, you know, what are the possibilities, mm. and what does that mean for how we should then live our live our lives, mm. and um, to have that, you know, type of thinking sort of satisfied in this idea of. Uh, love and inclusion, and to still account for. I guess like the badness in the world, mm. uh, the hurting in the world, mm. and even the hurting that I had personally experienced. Um, that that was something that um, was worth to me spending my whole life mm. um, really wrestling with. And uh, I actually had a very good friend at the time. One of um, the first kind of um, expressively Christian people. I knew tell me that, you know, becoming a Christian wasn't about feeling certain uh, mm. about all of these faith claims. And it wasn't about being sure that you're sure that you're sure, mm. which is how sometimes I think that, you know, salvific 
message is positioned. Um, But uh, she just offered that being a Christian just meant these kinds of things would bother me Mm. for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, That I I would continuously wonder. And Mm. I think that really did um, set the frame for me um, and gave, gave me again all of you know, what I was looking for in as far as staying curious and mm. um, wanting to be a part of advancing good in the world. And um, I think also Christian faith, <laughs> theoretically, um, should, you know, put a person in what I think to be like a, a epistemological, like humble mm. position, yeah. um, where reality like can be knowable Hmm. but you have like an imperfect perception of it and that that was both like honest and hopeful to me and i think that was something that also um really carved out room for me to continue uh to ask questions and to continue to not be sure uh and i mean throughout you know all of of the years of me being a christian um I've always stayed away from words like, I know this mm. is true, mm. you know, things to that effect. It's mm. it's always felt better and seemed more true to say things like, you know, I have good reason to believe um, mm. these, or what I experience as good reason to believe. And um, I think when when you're not in a context that's as restrictive, you know, as some of our friends mm. uh, experienced and um then there's just i think also a less urgency to Mm. have to have everything figured out Mm. there is sort of this um i don't even know what you'd call it maybe like a uh a byproduct of that like freedom Mm -hmm. you know to ask faith questions and to wrestle Mm -hmm. um with what is true and like what is good, um, it lends itself to, I think, a continued nuance mm. uh, in how a person holds all of their beliefs. And um, and so you don't have to feel like uh, you're driving an ambulance, mm-hmm. you know, to, to answer all the questions that present themselves. And even when something feels more urgent, mm-hmm. you know, something um, is put in front of us that, uh, demonstrates um, some really negative outcomes, mm. you know, of what we're believing and what we're teaching. Uh, I still think that there's a way to respond in a timely way to that, mm. and which does not result in the total collapse uh, of one's sense of self and yeah. their sense of their faith. And so, I think that too um, has been really key for me. Is mm. um, the the ability and the interest to ask questions has just been a part of my practice, mm-hmm. you know, from the very beginning. And uh, and fortunately, I was never in an environment where I wasn't allowed to participate in my faith that way. Mm-hmm. There were other <laughs> there were other <laughs> aspects I was allowed to participate right. uh, with, and and yet, like the questions themselves we're not stigmatized. So maybe hmm. uh, different perspectives and different approaches to responding to those questions um, 
you know, put me in a position where I began to feel like I was a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I never felt like being curious with and of itself um, was was an issue, you know, of concern or mm-hmm. something, um, you know, to um, that would ostracize me. Mm-hmm. What a gift. Like, I like I'm just I'm like imagining what it would be like to kind of come to faith and, and exist in faith in that world. And and um, I think like I, I feel like I'm laying out some of my cards here, but I, I perceive you as a very wise person. Uh, and I would imagine that a lot of that wisdom has come from being able to exist in that place. Um, and and this like dance between kind of like continued nuance versus certainty. Um, Cause I would imagine there's, there's a pull, like I know in my life there's, there's still that pull towards certainty of wanting to remain or to be very certain about specific things about what I believe about whatever. Um, and you're talking about that process of, continuing to ask those questions even in that space of wanting to be certain about something like seeing the harm wanting to be certain about an answer um, Mm -hmm. still pushing towards the nuance and maybe the harder answer Um, Mm -hmm. and that's that takes some work (laughs) yeah oh yeah well and i think too um you know in the the training like I I do with the Reformation Project mm-hmm. and just you know locally with LGBTQ Christians something I I really try to be mindful of as mm-hmm. you know I'm sharing you know skills and and sharing insights is that I really can a- acknowledge that how I come to this um, is is not going to be how everyone does mm-hmm. not just based on you know, these different like formative early faith uh, traditions and like experiences we come out of. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, there, there's something to be said of uh, education, you know, something to be said of socioeconomic status, something to be said uh, about, uh, you know, my apparent like proximity to sameness yeah. you know, in some of these more homogenous communities that mm-hmm. uh, I'm encouraging people to try and stay in if they can. And so um, it it is a gift and it's something that uh, I think I'm really uh, cautious mm-hmm. about um, I- exhorting other people to try and cultivate or try and live into because mm-hmm. um, this you know, middle space or this nuanced space, while I do think uh, it has really uh, benefited me, Mm. uh, I also know that the closer a person is to um, harmful and painful and traumatic, um, you know, types of experiences and, and abuses, the more challenging it is to yeah. to try and and live out this gray world, mm-hmm. you know, kind of uh, kind of perspective, and mm-hmm. and so what I find myself, you know, wanting to always be accountable to is that uh, when we're looking at these 
divisive topics or, you know, however they're, they're going to be labeled, Mm -hmm. um, that there is almost always a, a dominant and a subdominant group. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of these groups, uh, is more vulnerable. One of these groups is in closer, you know, proxy to pain. Mm -hmm. And so that's the group, uh, I'm going to, you know, side with, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the group that I think my faith compels me, Mm -hmm. um, to, to stand, you know, or show up, I guess I should say show up in solidarity with, Mm -hmm. and, um, and yet, um, the gift of like the nuance, I think just puts me in a position where I can hear the opposition in a different way and be affected by it so that I can allow whatever critique, if there's one worth engaging, um, you know, from these different perspectives, um, inform how I articulate mm-hmm. what you know, position or perspective I'm trying to share with other people. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I do think while it is good, uh, to, you know, philosophically mm. do our best and relationally, I think to do our best, um, to, uh, lean into nuance. Mm. I also think in many circumstances that is just functionally not possible. Right. So that's, that's yeah. the thing I about that. <laughs> yeah, I think that yeah, that's a really good point because I think yeah, because it, it, it is very much kind of a, a heady intellectual space to exist within um that when you're in the thick of things it doesn't work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um and yeah. That's yeah, I I'm thinking about like um from like a I'm framing it in the idea of like a counseling perspective like you have to give your clients concrete tools before you can get into like the more like deeper work kind of thing um mm-hmm. you have to you have to work with the immediate and the crisis and whatever first before you can kind of start digging into what what the kind of the the mumbo jumble of counseling um and, yes. <laughs> yeah so um it makes a lot of sense um yeah and and this is like this is all kind of work that you like have your hands in on a daily basis and i'd be curious if you could kind of talk about like what you do for the reformation project uh maybe really briefly for people who aren't familiar with the reformation project what it is um, yeah and yeah, kind of go from there. Yeah, so uh, the Reformation Project, TRP, uh, is a Bible-based Christian organization that is seeking to reform uh, the global church teaching and understanding of sexual orientation and gender identity. Hmm. That's big picture, uh, Mm -hmm. what what is going on. Um, And so more than just offering... Uh, support and more than just offering community, more than just offering um, a, a kind of space online and at our in-person events for connecting, mm. uh, we, at at a propositional level, uh, believe that in order to live into most authentic, genuine um, Christian expression, that requires the inclusion, the full inclusion of LGBTQ people. Mm. 
So um, given that perspective, uh, we do um, everything from annual conferences where we try to introduce people um, to the biblical case uh, for that position, mm-hmm. um, as well as leadership cohorts where we run three-month uh, online courses that culminate in a weekend intensive with the hope uh, to send those leaders back to their own context to think about what change initiatives could look like in, mm-hmm. in churches and in, in evangelical landscape in their community kind of at large. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also do a little bit of, of just consulting and um, joining people and their process of, of thinking about what the Bible says or doesn't say about uh, orientation, gender, gender identity. But um, over the last couple of years, uh, because of the huge number of uh, LGBTQ people of color mm. uh, coming out of uh, you know, cultural specific uh, Christian settings. We've also been really intentional to try and grow our organization uh, in a direction that acknowledges kind of what you and I were talking about earlier, the multiplicity of identity, you know, the fact that like I'm a person um, who is not just LGBTQ, but I'm LGBTQ and uh, uh, API or Asian Pacific Islander. I'm mm-hmm. a person who's LGBTQ API and, you know, figuring out this gender stuff. Like there are just a lot of different ways identity plays out for the LGBTQ person. And so if we're pushing for inclusion in a global church, that means we are going to be very intentional to be thinking about uh, race, ethnicity, disability, class, and all of the other, um, you know, kind of obias and isms that, mm-hmm. that within our communities um, and and need to be uh, contextually processed through. Mm. So that's that's a, mostly what we're doing. I uh, live in Atlanta and I am a field organizer for TRP. So what that means is that I'm primarily tasked with um, training and well finding and training LGBTQ Christians and our allies, uh, to be thinking about uh, what change would look like for them in their church, mm-hmm. uh, what change would look like for them within their organization um, through a more, um, you know, analytical, critical perspective and uh, with the, the view that this is about more than just um, the six verses, you know, that seem to talk about same-sex relationships. This mm-hmm. is about... Um, Christian history, you know, it's about doctrine, it's about uh, theological coherence, it's about, um, well, honestly, it's, it's about prejudices and biases, and um, you know, something I've been trying to be intentional to learn more about over the last couple of years, and that's collective sin, it's mm-hmm. structural sin, it's how the church, you know, is complicit and actively participates uh, in oppressing um, whole groups of people and um, working against that. And so that looks like a, a lot of meetings, a lot of uh, learning about different churches, learning about different organizations, understanding, um, you know, their heart uh, for this city. And, and I've been expanding a little bit outside of Atlanta too. So um, just the different 
uh, social climates people are up against in different denominations mm-hmm. and different traditions and different uh, interpretive methods. Um, it's just a pretty nerdy position mm-hmm. where I get to do a lot of cool things. Mm-hmm. Um, but my favorite part about it is is definitely the relation relational dynamic, just learning um, who all these people are and where they come from and um, being able to ask questions of them that, you know, you ask on this podcast mm-hmm. and, and seeing how that fits uh, strategically and specifically. And in a way I'd be willing um, to uh, label as calling, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for and to this movement um, because that's very much, how I think about it, how I've been experiencing it. And, um, I just like to know, uh, that people can have a sense of family, have a sense Mm -hmm. of belonging and that they, um, imagine themselves as being able to contribute meaningfully to, um, what I would say like God is doing, Mm -hmm. um, through, um, through our queer Christian experiences. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Oh, I love that. Like, it's, it sounds like a dream job in a way, like <laughs> um, to be able to kind of do the nerdy side and the relational side at the same time. And, um, and, and I, I'm curious cause like I've, I, I've noticed on your Twitter that you've been reading some Walter Wink um, <laughs> and, and I'm wondering if we can maybe get into a little bit of a, a more nerdy theological conversation uh, because I think this kind of ties into what you were saying about <laughs> like s- like systemic sin, system like and and systematic sin, and and uh, you, you tweeted this quote of Christ makes all things subject to Himself, not by coercion, but by healing diseased reality and restoring its balance and integrity, uh, which is a quote by Walter Wink, uh, who's a theologian. Uh, who writes a lot about this topic, um, and I'm I'm curious because because there's some language in there that idea of sin, that idea of diseased reality, uh, those are kind of words that I think for me I kind of feel this internal like red flag almost raise up of like wait a second like this language has been used against me to mm-hmm. like demean my identity and to say that I am these things. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how, like in, in approaching this, maybe in a little bit of a different way, um, how are you finding hope? How are you finding, um, healing in these readings and these ideas in this language? Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a big topic, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually just, we were on a and I were in San Francisco um, facilitating a, a one-day academy for racial justice. Okay. And there's actually a section uh, in that training now where we try to parse out um, the differences and the similarities between individual sin, what we call individual sin mm. and collective sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I think, really pulled a lot in that section from how folks like Walter Wink, Walter Brueggemann, Mm. um, those two theologians in particular would talk about this because, um, I 
am a person uh, who I think still holds to some form of uh, original sin Mm -hmm. being true, not just of our lives, but of individual lives, Mm -hmm. my own life, um, but also um, present in how society uh, gets it gets itself set up, mm-hmm. uh, and and so that quote in particular, uh, you know, talking about diseased realities, um, is is accounting um, in that excerpt specifically for the structural aspects of, of sin in our mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And um, Drew Hart is another another who talks about um, collective like what collective sin looks like in racism mm. uh, and uh, all of, of these writers, all of these thinkers um, are all kind of uncovering this, this notion that um, there's something uh, really inherently and spiritually problematic about the hierarchies uh, that present themselves in the world. Mm. Um, and again, mo- most of these have uh, unfolded, you know, as race, mm-hmm. you know, as sexuality, as gender, mm. as class, as disability, it's even religion, language, you know, there is very much a power structure uh, present in this world that um, in itself is morally neutral, mm. but can be used for good. And as we've known it, um, and as we've seen it used for evil. And so, um, I think kind of on their own, those quotes, absolutely, you know, echo this spiritual abuse, right. you know, that we've all come from and understanding orientation and gender identity, I think in particular. Yeah. Um, but, um, what Wink and Brueggemann and Hart, I think, would would offer is that that's largely based on how uh, white Christian thought, Eurocentric, you know, Western Christian expression, mm-hmm. uh, and not just evangelicalism, but mm-hmm. broader than that, has this has historically had this uh, uh, focus on the individual. Uh, the individual predisposition of sinfulness. Right. And, and so when that's how we're taught to think about sin, and that's sort of the only way that gets framed, of course we're mm. going to cast that on ourselves. We're going to mm. hear a word like sin. We're going to hear a phrase like diseased reality, and that can only do something um, harmful <laughs> to mm. us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, I think it makes it an act of reclamation um, to be able to go like back through Christian scripture and see that that is not the only way sin shows up in the world. And in fact, um, there is maybe even a more compelling argument to see that uh, diseased reality as what happens because of, of empire politics, what happens uh, when uh, the state um, is the one who's articulating our faith um, as we know it, and um, I th- and I think too, it's also worth sharing uh, that I do still believe in my own sinfulness. Yeah. It's just not 
um, my orientation or, or gender identities with and of themselves. Right. I think um, the danger of, you know, moving away from, uh, you know, that doctrine. Um, well, I guess I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. But yeah. one of the dangers for me is that it seems intellectually dishonest. Uh, I, I think I've always appreciated um, what theologians and other, even like progressive Christians, you know, have uh, articulated around this idea that um, one's, you know, excavation of self, you know, looking in the mirror and just dealing soberly often results in this like admission of like, yeah, uh, <laughs> we live in a sinful world. And one way that does show up like is in my own um, expression of, of greed and my own expression of lust and my own expression of um, impatience and unkindness and, uh, you know, reactionary response, unforgiveness, like all of these kinds of things like are still a part of my life and are still a part of my world and still a part of what I'm actively, um, you know, trying to, uh, find, you know, to be redeemable. Mm. And so, um, I think that's the big thing for me is in reading, you know, more work, um, that, that talks directly about sin, being able to dive into these structural aspects, see ways in which I have been complicit mm -hmm. in upholding them and uncovering ways uh, to resist them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I guess in, in talking about, you know, sinfulness and talking about, you know, things like atonement, um, I, I really try and be as comprehensive as possible in illuminating the variety of views mm. uh, that have existed in Christian thought mm -hmm. in practice, ranging from some of these more, um, you know, what you and I would probably call rigid Calvinistic um, approaches mm -hmm. to thinking about that uh, to um, others uh, you would find in liberation or like queer or womenist theologies mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, really uh, do a good job of illuminating um, the systematic, you know, or systemic, rather, systemic ways that sinfulness plays itself out uh, in the world we know. Mm. Um, so I hope that kind of answers your question. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it, it's, a big, it's a big topic and something that I'm newer to, right. to really diving into, but I have found a lot of comfort in being able uh, to to reclaim and reframe this idea of sinfulness as bigger than just my own personal individual mm. predispositions and, and behaviors. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I think like, I mean, I think this is something that we could probably like go on and on and on and on and on about because it's like, I, it's such a fascinating conversation. Um, but for the sake of time, like... I think we might need to leave it at that <laughs> <laughs> um, because I, I want to get to before we close and um, Reformation Project, but going back to Reformation Project, like they're having a conference coming up at the end of October 
and I'm wondering if you could just share a little bit about that. What uh, what's happening, what people can expect at the conference. Uh, and uh, I, I know I'm going to be there. I know a ton of people who've been on this podcast are going to be there. It's my personal favorite conference of the year. Wow. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. So if you, if you could tell people about that, um, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. What a plug. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I th- one thing that's helpful for me to do when I talk about TRP is is just to share my own story. Yeah. Uh, and you know, as I kind of touched on earlier, um, I I was spiritually grown up in in an evangelical community, a more conservative uh, way of thinking about Christian faith and practice. Yeah. And even though I was a teenager, uh, you know, and and that went on into college, and, and those were the ages that I was um, really a part you know, of those communities in that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it still was um, something that meant a great deal to me, positively informed how I think about the world and how I think about other people. Yeah. Uh, it gave me all of these uh, really rich experiences and learning what it means uh, to be loved not just to love others, but to be loved. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that made it all the more painful when uh, I, I came out and um, started sharing with people how I got to that place theologically and biblically mm-hmm. and felt like I'd lost um, those communities. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what made the work of the Reformation Project initially so, um, I think integrated for me was I felt like these two worlds I'd always understood as quite separate from each other um, could actually say a lot Mm. to one another. And even if um, the volume on this conversation had historically been quite loud, and I think the phrase that's often employed is, you know, generating more heat than light, Mm. um, that didn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet, some of these other organizations that uh, have really done a fantastic job in curating those particular spaces for dialogue and for conversation um, as their um, you know, primary form of programming were uh, falling short, mm. um, again, just in my own personal experience, right. in um, really unpacking um, not just the theological component of LGBTQ inclusion, uh, but the racial justice component mm-hmm. that is inextricably a part that a part of that, and um, the community organizing component. Mm-hmm. And so, um, our conferences aim to give a a broad overview of how these three um, types of movements and expressions of thinking about Christian faith can come together. Mm. And so more than just um, keynote speakers to offer like exhortations and, uh, you know, inspirational ways of of understanding ourselves as uh, Christian people and centering um, voices of POC, LGBTQ people, POC people, women, uh, trans folks. Um, It's also a time to hear, um, to hear theology uh, from um, 
voices that I didn't get to read right. um, when I was in Christian college uh, right. from perspectives that were not being readily engaged in the communities that I was coming from. Um, and then they certainly weren't being engaged in a way that would propel change. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, the big thing about our conferences. We're trying to give people an introduction uh, to movement, what it means to get involved in the movement mm. um, of, of what God is doing here and to understand oneself uh, as having the capacity uh, to participate in, in great social change. And so we are going to be in Chicago, October 26th through 28th, trying uh, to do that and um, hopefully um, you know, serve as, a, as an access point uh, mm. for, for a lot who are still wrestling with this, still wondering about it, wanting to participate uh, in, in the change piece mm -hmm. of, of this Christian LGBTQ discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and because I, I know that there's, there's a small handful of straight people who listen to this podcast. Is the conference just for queer people? No. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody can come. Mm -hmm. In fact, some of my favorite people are there, are also straight people. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think we do try to curate a space that uh, is conducive to um, folks who are on the fence, mm -hmm. you know, who are trying to figure out what they believe about this, and those uh, who are wanting to grow in like allyship capacities mm -hmm. um, and figuring out what that means for them as a parent, as a friend, as a sibling, as a pastor, um, as a lay leader. And uh, I do I do think that that is something that's been helpful mm -hmm. um, to plenty of non-LGBTQ people. And, and I do think as well um, that our, our stories and the community that kind of naturally comes out of spaces like this um, do help uh, other Christians be better Christians. I, th yeah. I think I, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Mm. Uh, Amelia, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. You can find Amelia on Twitter at Amelia underscore Markham. Uh, find out more about her work over at the Reformation Project's website reformationproject.org you can also use that website to register for the conference or find out any more information that you want to about that uh, Queerology is on Twitter at QueerologyPod or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts uh, as always if you're enjoying Queerology I would love it if you would leave a review on iTunes uh, you can just do that on iTunes or head over to my website MatthiasRoberts.com slash review it'll take you right there uh, reach out. If there's someone that you want to hear on the podcast, let me know. Uh, there's a little contact form on my website that's pretty easy to get in touch with. I'll get back to you. And if you have any other thoughts, just let me know. Until next week, y'all. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.